This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs. Now let's get into today's show. Hello, and welcome back to the Detection and Scale podcast. Today, I'm here with Cassio Goldschmidt, the Chief Information Security Officer at Service Titan. Cassio has over 20 years of experience in security as a leader of various technology companies, as a speaker at conferences like RCA and Black Hat, and even helping improve the security integrity of Brazil's voting system. Welcome to the show, Cassio. Thanks so much. Glad to be here, Jack. Yeah, I'd love to know, how did you get started in security? So I saw that you worked at Symantec quite a while ago, so I was really curious about that. Yeah, so uh, I actually started before going to Symantec. I think my first exposure to security was really at work, because at the time, unfortunately, you know, schools wouldn't teach you a lot about uh, information security at best. They would teach you about uh, cryptography. But uh, previous to Symantec, I worked for Cisco. And Cisco had a security team, was very focused on uh, the security of uh, network. Around that time, I started seeing tools being released, such as BackRFS from a quote of the dead, dead count, right? And that was around, I think, 2002 or so. I was an engineer at that time. I was not really working in security yet. But I look at the tool and felt that, hey, how come... Not everyone knows that those things are possible, right? As an engineer, you go, yeah, you can actually remote control a machine. You can do all those things, right? It really puzzled me how much publicity that thing got. Later in my career, I went to, to Semantic, as you mentioned. And uh, again, I started as a uh, principal software engineer developing the corporate Semantic antivirus solution. And here, because, you know, the company cares so much about security, just like it cares about good code and and quality products, right? Engineers get very involved with security. And up to a point that, you know, I was just so fascinated with the topic, I moved to the security team and started my career there. And I was fortunate enough to actually meet a bunch of the security legends that the company have, right? Uh, LF1, who wrote the Smash Stack paper, Wild Pond, who was part of the cult of Dead Cow, Silicosis, and, and so many others, right, who were really into security and understand really down deep in the code, specifically application security, how it's done and what the problems are and move from there. So what did you work on when you made the formal switch to become a security engineer? Yeah, so uh, I was at Semantic. And I was in the semantic endpoint protection product. I was one of the engineers, and uh, we would have all the uh, code reviews and you know just come with like stacks of papers of uh, findings in other people's code when we did the review. And that got the attention of the central security team. And then fast forwarding a little bit, how did you work up to become a security leader that you are today? Yeah, so uh, I think it was a combination of different things. One of them was to have the technical background, uh, 
a bachelor's in computer science, a master's degree in software engineering, then also getting an MBA, which helps in the management part of things. And also uh, participation in the community, right? I've been a longtime contributor of uh, OWASP, what was the chapter leader for, for LA, right? And that just helps in order to, you know, those kind of things feeds back to your work. And all the effort that you put in order to create the community actually pays back big time in order to help you to solve problems that you have at, at work. And do you feel like that emphasis on helping the greater community is a big drive for you still today in security? Absolutely. Uh, I made a, a number of friends at OWASP, not only in LA, but internationally, right? It's really nice to talk to them and see that we share this common passion of making a, a better world. And it really helps quite a bit even today because technology keeps changing, right? You have yeah. new things coming out all the time and uh, you have to stay on top of things. Yeah, absolutely. It's a similar drive that I share. It's really just around helping organizations stay safe, helping prevent breaches, helping security teams, most importantly. And for me, it's more like building software for just making sure they can do their job. So yeah, we're definitely aligned in the way that we think about our passion and our drive for security. So I want to talk a little bit about the idea of like building security teams up. So as a leader, what is your typical strategy for building a security team in 2021 and going from zero to one? Yeah. So if you are going to work in a startup, you have to realize that they might not have a lot going on with security at the point that you start, right? And uh, it's your job to understand what they have. And first and foremost, you have to understand the company. You have to understand the culture. Right. It, there's a big difference from working in a Fortune 500 company where everything is established to going to a uh, startup where you really got the first endeavors related to security done by heroes, right? People who actually work at night and uh, created that very first initial steps that they had in order to go into the security journey. So you have to understand who were the people who actually created the security controls or the security training or whatever the company has at that point, because those are the going to be the people who are going to help you moving forward in your journey. You have to understand what the company is trying to solve, right? Uh, executives are hiring a security professional uh, protection because they have some problem in mind. Maybe it's because somebody in another company was hacked that they know or a competitor had some problems or they had some problems, right? Or maybe it's compliance or just building trust from customers. So you have to understand what was the real reason that you were being hired, right? And uh, once you see all the things that were already created, you have to also help to document <laughs> the things that already exist because chances are, the engineers and the people who actually created those things, uh, you know, working over time, they really didn't do a good job to document. And with that, you start the mapping of things. You start your own organic risk assessment, right? You should sometimes hire an external company to come and find what are the big gaps and the low-hanging fruits. And you actually should solve both. So you create your plan. And uh, in the beginning, I kind of advocate get your hands dirty and get, you know, alone and then start hiring. So you can become the mentor, you can become the coach 
of uh, your new hires, right? And then you can engage with the employees and start communicating and establish yourself as a source of truth and a trusted advisor for the rest of the company. Yeah, that is a really great overview. Thank you so much for going into that. So really to sort of summarize what you were saying, it's join the company, get a sense of really what has been established, partner with those people who have done those early efforts for security, the the heroes, as you mentioned them, learn a little bit around the, the business objectives of the company so you can orient yourself on the things that the leadership cares about. And then you can make sure that those those things are protected and then establish a little hanging fruit with you know, a red team or some type of external firm and then build your strategy based on that. So as someone who runs a startup, I think that's like a really awesome approach. And the next question I have is, how much do you as the first security hire typically do yourself versus wanting to hire other teams? So are there other examples like the red team exercise that come to your head in terms of like really building up this early team? Yes. So uh, there's so much you can do, <laughs> right? And there's people who, whatever area you choose, are just professionals doing things day in, day out. And in the case of red teams, and you mentioned, it's a very specialized type of work, right? So working with uh, staff augmentation, I think it's a great idea for a lot of areas like this, right? When you need, for example, 24 by 7 monitoring, you chances are when you start working at a small company, you won't have the resources. So working with an external company might be a good way to get started with red, team, red teaming penetration tests. That's also some areas that you want to really to go to the best companies you can find and hire them to actually do those first tests on your behalf because you're going to get a really good report and we'll definitely get attention from your engineering team and start understanding what the security problem really is and all the critical findings that are inevitably coming from this, you know, the very few first reports. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if we think about zero to one, which is no security team to security team, where you're the leader brought in to really establish all of these key areas and, and to reduce risk and to add security controls and all these things like that. How do you think about the beginnings of building your team? Who are the people that you want to bring in for, for various ownership? Yeah, it really depends on the company profile and uh, the kind of product you are developing, right? Some products require a lot of technical expertise. Some uh, software as a service might require very strong compliance people to actually be able to you know, fulfill the needs of that company. But... What I can tell you is that I usually look for people with a solid engineering background. Even if they're going to work in areas that don't necessarily are related to, let's say, writing codes or code or solution, it always seems to be important or very effective when you have somebody in compliance who has a background in software engineering because they not only understand the problem, but they can also help to provide feasible solutions for the company, right? Likewise, even legal, legal people who have who has a background in uh, technology usually are faster to understand the problem and help you to solve or, or get something that is, is reasonable. The other thing is passion, right? I really think that security is a fascinating area 
And you can find people who are truly passionate about it, right? People who just work in security because they love it and they that's what they do outside their day-to-day job as well because there's so much to do. Um, one example that I have for you is uh, our you know, latest incident response guy that we hired overseas. He works in Armenia. Armenia was at war recently and he was doing his free time helping journalists to stay available, right? To help their blogs to stay available against DDoS attacks because that's what he believes and that's what he believes to be the right thing to do. Yeah, I think that passion will also reflect into their work as well. You know, people who really have this drive and they really have a strong why of like why they're doing security or just really anything in a, in a startup or a company just really produces, I think, really awesome work and people really want to get to the root of a problem and and not just solve it for the purpose of solving it, you know? So that motivation is awesome. So talking about incident response and sort of pivoting into that. So you mentioned that you typically look for people with engineering backgrounds in the security team and you gave the compliance example. Do you take that same approach for doing detection and response or do you look for people who have those, those backgrounds in investigating TTPs and really going deep on attacker methodologies. How do you balance it? Yeah. So uh, it is important to have some experience with attack methodologies. Otherwise, you, you might be pretty narrow, right? And the technical side of things. The other part that I think it's uh, important for incident responses to be relentless, right? Unfortunately, most of the tools that we have in the market today, they still provide a high number of false positives, Right. And uh, a lot of people just get tired of looking at things and start just rubber stamping them. But you really need to actually look at everything and make sure that you, you leave no stone unturned. Right. And that's also very important, at least to me, that this, this kind of work is also done properly. Yeah. That's a really common problem. Just high volumes of false positives or just tools that are spitting out a lot of alerts that don't necessarily mean anything significant. So I'm curious, how do you approach getting around that problem, especially as you scale your team, you scale the amount of data you're collecting, the organization is also growing, so you have to keep up with that. So what's your approach for just maintaining that same level of alerts and keeping your team still engaged and not not burned out? So the approach we're taking is to look at the newer solutions. I think the old solutions are at, at large the culprit of uh, the problem that we have today, right? Same goes, for example, uh, uh, static analysis tools for source code analysis. They all have a you know, high number of uh, false positives and uh, people just get tired. So you have to innovate out. You have to look for the tools that are a little bit smarter. In the case of security information event management team and uh, SOAR, security orchestration automated response, you are starting to have tools in the market that utilize uh, AI in order to provide higher quality results that you can, you know, at least understand the attack and what's going on. But I think there's a lot more that um, vendors can do. For example, discoverability of assets. Unless I actually feed my SOAR and see with specific tools that I'm using around the company, it won't discover them for me. And although the idea might sound a little bit crazy or you know, the expectations might sound a little bit high that this thing should be done by the tool, I see that, for example, vulnerability 
availability management tools that are specifically designed to work in the cloud these days, they're actually doing that, right? They don't have to say, here are all my servers, because that's something I cannot do. I mean, servers go up and down in modern environments all the time, right? So the new tools will actually plug into the cloud APIs and will find all your assets and report on them. And I think that's the next step that we have to look for the tools to help us solve the problem. Mm-hmm. What other issues have you run into with Sims, especially as you start to feed them more data and, and grow your team? Yeah, so the issues I've been seeing with Sim is just, you know, support all the ingest of uh, the data source at a cloud scale, right? Investigation is and will always be necessary for a number of reasons, right? And you need to find qualified workforce, which is really hard, right? And on top of that, you have no real visibility on uh, inside breaches. I think the tools do a really good job thinking about the attacker being outside the company. But when it comes to something that is happening inside the company, you don't get as much good data as I would like to see, basically because... You expect people to be doing a couple of things that look suspicious, right? And there will be a number of false positives. Mm-hmm. As an executive or as just a security manager in general, like what are the metrics that you're measuring against to really gauge the effectiveness of a detection program? So the detection, usually what you want to do is really eradicate some types of vulnerabilities, right? As much as possible, you should try to aim for that not try to patch the solutions that you had in the past, trying to to solve the same old problems. So that's one of the things is really, okay, can we really solve this type of problem, this class of problem, right? Even if it is a very specific case, that's one of the things that we, we look for. The other one is just if you cannot solve, how fast can you detect and respond to the issue? And lastly, how can you contain whatever you found so that it doesn't spread. Mm -hmm. How would you measure that last one? Containment is is a hard one to measure because basically, you know, things need to happen. So you you can tell anecdotally, you know, here's what we're doing and here's how you can actually avoid the spread of something that could happen, right? With uh, different solutions such as uh, network segmentation, zero trust, and so on. But measuring the effectiveness is something that, uh, honestly, we have not been doing at this point. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about the, the team as a whole. So you joined the company. Was there a team when you started or did you build the team up? I was fortunate enough to actually build a team. And I actually, when they told me, hey, you're, you're getting into the company and you're going to build a team from, from scratch, I think it's actually a privilege because basically you get to, to mold and create the team in a way that you believe to be the right size and the right skill sets for the company that you're working for and not getting something you know that somebody else had their ideas. And, you know, startups really run at a very fast pace. And whoever or whatever you did two or three years ago might not apply as much for, you know, what the startup looks today. Mm-hmm. Yes, startups do move very quickly. <laughs> and I think that experience is really unique just overall. So it's, it's a really awesome position that you're in to, to be able to grow with the company and really form and mold the team. 
So what's on your mind today with, with security? Like, what are you focused on? What are you thinking about right now? Yeah. So the thing that is in my mind, first and foremost right now is uh, privacy. I recently uh, launched a uh, privacy course for uh, product and uh, engineering on LinkedIn learning. And privacy requirements, I believe they will change a lot of things in the way we think about the work we do securing our most precious asset, which is data, right? A lot of times we think about privacy and we think about companies such as Facebook or Google to actually cash on the information they have. But the truth is that some companies really don't want to have your data, right? Think about, for example, Intuit and uh, TurboTax, right? They have uh, everyone's data about taxes and that's a huge liability for the company, right? These days, people have been talking about the homomorphic encryption, which is uh, encryption in processing. And if this really starts taking off, you could actually send your data encrypted to the cloud, do all the calculations for your taxes, send the data back encrypted to you without they ever seeing what the results of those calculations and have the job done. Right. So I think the way we're going to process data is going to change. You're going to see more processing done in the endpoints, more aggregation of data, and more privacy enhancing techniques that will change the way we develop software today. The other thing is that privacy is not only about sensitive data, right? People think about government IDs, biometrics, this kind of things, but it's really context sensitive, right? It's the combination of the data that you have might reveal that, you know, this person is Jack or this person is Casio. This is really important to understand and it's something that tools cannot help you with, right? And the other part is that companies really produce data they sensitive, right? When you do, for example, you process lab tests, you might be determining whether somebody has a disease, let's say HIV, and that's very sensitive information, right? And errors there can result in a lot of grief or discrimination and, and so on. So the processing is also important. And I don't think people are really looking at that, especially going to AI. You know, companies are doing things that sometimes generate bias. And, you know, there's a lot of work that the industry has to do in that front. And what do you foresee as the demands changing around um, security teams over time. So today, you know, you have a set of challenges, but what are you foreseeing in the future? Yeah, I think that we are all moving up in the stack, right? As I mentioned, I started as a, an engineer, right? Got my MBA. A lot of times I'm actually working with third parties these days, right? Because everything is in the cloud. I don't necessarily own the infrastructure assets anymore. So what happens with the leaders is that you need to start reviewing contracts, right? With all this interconnected ecosystem that was created. And you have to understand and see what's reasonable to ask and what people are demanding from you. Likewise, when you talk about network engineers, those guys didn't have to develop code. And guess what? These days, they're working in cloud environments where everything is as code, right? And uh, software engineers suddenly became more involved with the infrastructure because, you know, they are creating uh, images for their containers and so on. So getting this uh, broader view and updating your skills in order to go to the next level is really important. And the next level is, you know, might be business, might be 
becoming a software engineer if you're not and doing things that you were not necessarily trained to do. And that's why it's so important to always be, be learning. I love that. <laughs> so to, to just wrap things up for everyone listening. So what are three pieces of actionable advice that you'd give to other security teams or security leaders to really just succeed at scale as things grow and, and as things are so dynamically changing all the time? I think the first one is to win trust, right? You should work as a partner. A lot of people in security still work as the department of no, and it's really about how can you make things work, right? What are the security controls that I can actually provide that will mitigate the problem or completely resolve the problem without necessarily denying the request from happening? There's a need to be accurate. If you're not accurate, if you don't know your stuff, people won't trust you. They want to come back to you. And uh, all the consulting that you could provide and ideally want your coworkers and peers coming to you to ask uh, for advice won't happen. Better yet, you want your customers to come to you and look at you as the security leader in the industry and uh, ask you how to implement things properly, right? And then it's about mitigating or eradicating the problems that you have or lowering the time to detect whatever you, you still have to work on. And the way you do is, unfortunately, as we talked about, you cannot look at the thousands of alerts. You have to use automation. You have to do things differently and leverage the new technologies to do that. Well, that's a great way to end today. Thank you so much, Cassio. It was a pleasure meeting you and talking with you. And hopefully we'll get to chat again at some point. Same here. Thanks so much, Jack. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website, runpanther.io to sign up for a free trial. You'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.